Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneMo, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I'm always rocking OneMo, and there's a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different pants and shorts to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy, and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms, or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants, and everything is made from premium fabrics, with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL, and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. From flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, One Bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns in order to guarantee your perfect fit, and you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian, just like me. And for me, that's important. New gear drops every couple of weeks, including the fall collection hitting the market recently, and it's got some absolute bangers in it. And the website and app are always loaded with the latest gear, styles, and offerings. As a One Bone Ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. It is a one-time use code, but I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone and become part of the One Bone family, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. One Bone, the biggest brand. Salutations. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of 10 Things I Like here on Keyboard More, presented by One Bone. I'm your host, E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man, back to break down the list of things at UFC 294 that really tickled my fancy, that really piqued my interest, that have me all jacked up for Saturday's early tip-off here on the West Coast of Canada. This card is so good that I don't have to include the fact that it is an early start time. In the list of things that I like, though, if you listen to me, if you watch me, if you consume my content, you know that I love me an early start time, seven o'clock in the morning here on the West Coast, 10 o'clock on the East Coast. In Canada, it goes Fight Pass, TSN, then pay-per-view. Cannot wait. I love this card. We've had some changes. I think you can make an argument that the fights we got are equally interesting, if not more interesting. There's a bunch of prospects. There's a bunch of good fights. There's a lot to get into. There's a lot that I like. So let's get started. Item number one, Irritated Islam Mahashev. So this one is a little bit of me just reading the room, reading the body language, interpreting the things that I heard in the interview conducted by the UFC digital team for a story that I wrote that will be up on the website sometime today or early tomorrow on the UFC lightweight champion. In that very brief interview, there were multiple instances where Mahashev said some variation of, and people were talking 
as part of his justification, as part of his like explanation for why he's excited to have this rematch on Saturday against Alexander Volkanovsky. And having spoke to Mahashev throughout his climb, all the way up to the title, I can tell you that usually before fights, he was in a pretty good mood. He's pretty laid back. It was an element of that Khabib confidence, right? Where it's playful, where it's, listen, I'm just going to smash. These guys don't have a chance. They will see my, my level, brother. And it's it's playful. It's confident. And then he goes out and smashes. This time, he's very quiet. He's very reserved. And just kind of continues talking about people were talking. People want to see it. And I think he was really pissed off that coming out of that fight, which he won, which he won by unanimous decision, 48, 47, twice, 49, 46, once, that Volkanovsky got more of the praise. A lot of the takeaway, a lot of the coming away from that was how Alexander Volkanovsky went up a division and hung with the lightweight champ. So even though Alex caught a loss and Islam's winning streak persisted, he came away sort of as the secondary figure. He came away as the B-side of that fight. And we made the arguments, and rightfully so, I think, that Volkanovsky showed that he is the better pound-for-pound fighter in that fight as the guy going up. I don't think any of that sat well or sits well with Islam Mahashev to this day. And I think he views Saturday as a chance to silence all of that, to make it clear that while Volkanovsky did well the first time, he is still the far superior fighter and wants to show that there's actually quite a gap between them. I am absolutely here for that kind of focus, for that kind of mindset. Because happy, confident, gonna go out there and smash brother Islam Mahashev was really great. He has already been really great. And if you now are going to put a burr in his saddle and make him a little pissed off to where he wants to prove something, because this whole run, he hasn't felt, and it hasn't seemed like he's felt the need to prove anything. He's been confident that he's going to be champion. He's confident that he is the best in the world, his team as well. And they've just gone out and done it. Now he goes out and beats Alexander Volkanovsky. And the takeaway is, man, what a great fight for Volkanovsky. And it doesn't make sense to him. It doesn't res- It doesn't register to him how that's possible. Why is this the guy they're talking about? And so now I think he wants to go out and show there's nothing for you to talk about here with him. I'm the A-side. I'm the story. I'm the best in the world. I'm going to finish this guy now. I tell you what, I still want to see the Charles Oliveira rematch. I still would like to see Islam Ahashev versus Justin Gaethje at some point. I'd like to see a rematch with Armin Saryukin. I'd like to see a fight with Mateusz Gamrot. But this one on Saturday is going to tell us a lot or tell me a lot, I think, about what the future holds for this guy. Because if he goes out and absolutely puts a hurting on Volkanovsky, I don't want to hear anything about two weeks. I don't want to hear anything. This has beaten one of the pound-for-pound best two times in one year and doing it on short notice. It's short notice for Islam as well. This isn't just a short notice fight for Alexander Volkanovsky. The champ accepted a change in opponents to a very different opponent and a very dangerous opponent 
on less than two weeks notice. And he seems a little pissed off. And I can't wait to see what that produces on Saturday. Item number two, Alexander Volkanovsky and rematches. So we've seen it twice. Second fight and third fight with Max Holloway. And listen, the dude just impresses in those opportunities, right? Second fight is the close one. It's the split decision. It's the one that if I was a lunatic, I would start arguments about, you know, I don't think it was even close. I think Volkanovsky won handily and then duck and cover as the Holloway loyalists just started lobbing their objections and started arguing their points. And listen, it's a super close fight. It's a really competitive fight. I'm not here to relitigate it. It stands as a split decision win for Alexander Volkanovsky. He is still the featherweight champion because two years after that fight, he made a whole bunch of improvements, a whole bunch of gains, a whole bunch of adjustments and went out and absolutely clobbered Max Holloway in the third fight. And now he gets to run it back with a guy that he fought pretty well in February, that he competed against. And in the last stages of that fight, in the late stages of that fight, he had his best moments. He hurt and dropped Islam Mahashev in that fifth round and was pressing towards trying to find a way to pull out a finish and win that lightweight title. And while he didn't necessarily say, yeah, I've been working on this year-round maniacally focused on Islam Mahashev, when we talked to him this week for UFC.com, he sort of confirmed what Sean Madden and I talked about on the coach conversation in that from the time they got back from Perth, it was let's continue working on the things that we didn't necessarily do well or that we could improve upon because eventually we're going to meet that guy again. Eventually we're going to see Islam Mahashev for a second time. Don't know when it's going to be. So let's install things now. Let's drill them. Let's work on them. Let's continually build on them throughout the year. And when that opportunity comes, we're not playing catch up. And he sat down with the UFC team and he said, and so this, this really abbreviated camp, right? Basically a week to really get ready for Islam Mahashev. 10 days if you want to, if you want to give him a couple of days this week while he's in Abu Dhabi has just been going over things that he's been going over for the last eight months. And so you get this guy that I believe is the best pound for pound fighter on the planet that has shown us time and again, that between fights, he makes improvements that even though he's 35, he's still getting better each time out. He has been distancing himself from the division for the last two years, three years, and then went up and fought the lightweight champion to not quite a stalemate, but a pretty damn tough fight. And the best performance anybody has had against Islam Mahashev during the course of this run, dating back to probably Armin Saryukin, when Saryukin came in and gave him a very good fight in his promotional debut. And now we've given him eight months where he hasn't specifically been focused on Mahashev, but has been working on things to put into place so that when this day came, he'd be ready for it. I'm not making a pick yet. That'll come tomorrow on the picks and plays. But I tell you what, if there, I've said it a couple of times this week, you couldn't create a fighter better suited for an opportunity like this than Alexander Volkanovsky. Always in shape, ultra professional, ultra focused, been prepping for this guy for eight months, 
working on the working on the game plan, working on the things that he needed to work on. And now he just gets to turn up and see if he can take that lightweight title back home with him to Australia. Item number three, the return of Hamzat Chemaev. I haven't been a Chemaev guy. I was, when everybody was, was flipping out about the way he smashed John Phillips in his debut, I was the guy saying, it's John Phillips. When he clobbered Reese McKee 10 days later, I was the guy that said, it's Reese McKee. Sorry, Reese McKee, but it's Reese McKee. Even when he ran through Gerald Mearshart in September of that first year, I mean, yeah, it's GM3, and I like Gerald. I think he's a fun, worthwhile fighter to have in the middleweight division. I'm picking my words carefully there. I didn't want to say useful. He's a good hand. He's a good veteran fighter. And Tamaya blew through him. But over these last couple of years, it feels like things have slowed down and the bloom is off the rose a little bit. He doesn't have that same momentum, that same buzz as he had through that first year because it's been longer stretches between fights. It's now been over a year since the win over Kevin Holland last September. It's now been 18 months since the really great performance and really tough fight against Gilbert Burns. And now he comes back and he's up at middleweight where it feels like he should always have been. Feels like the right division for him. And he faces Kamaru Usman in a fight that, to me, feels like it's both super winnable and a chance for him to absolutely dominate, but also one of those fights that could be a banana peel that could teach us a few things because Usman's been in there and been in the thick of it in tough fights, in championship fights against the absolute best in the world, mind you, at welterweight, not at middleweight. So we'll have to see. And there's the questions about the knee, fine. But this finally feels for me like a Chimaya fight that I'm really excited about. And I wasn't as excited for Paulo Costa because unfortunately, I don't believe in Paulo Costa. I don't think he's a guy that's going to turn up in the best shape possible to face anybody. And we kind of saw that, right? He had elbow surgery and then was like, no, I'm good. I'm going to go out there and fight that guy three weeks after elbow surgery. That wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't have worked out. I don't know whether Usman is in great shape. I don't know whether he his knee is an issue or not. And so I don't necessarily know whether this is going to tell us a great deal about Chemaev, if this is just going to be another smash job where he rolls through somebody. But I tell you what, even rolling through a 80%, 75% Kamaru Usman is a statement. It says something because dudes don't roll through Kamaru Usman. It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened. And if this guy does it, this could be the point where I finally start listening to the people that have been saying for a while that this guy is an absolute problem. And I might have to change my tune and declare that this guy is the real deal. And he just might be that unstoppable juggernaut in the middleweight division. Item number four, a prove-it fight at light heavyweight. I think both Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker have a lot on the line on Saturday. Nothing has been said officially by the UFC, but it feels like a fight that could very well determine who is going to be first in line to challenge the winner of the upcoming fight between Yuri Prohashka and Alex Paheya for the vacant light heavyweight title. Understandably, Jamal Hill has a 
golden ticket, a fast pass to a championship opportunity. Once he's healthy, once he's recovered from his Achilles injury and comes back. But I don't know when that's going to be. And in theory, the championship fight is in November. We have this fight now, this weekend. We could get one in, in March or in April. And I think that'll be before Jamal Hill is ready to come back. Injury suffered in July. Feels like it'll be a 12-month thing. And so for Uncle Ayev, it's his first fight since the split draw with Jan Bojovic last year in December. His opportunity to win a vacant title. That fight still sits weird with me because why didn't you wrestle before the fourth round? Why didn't you deal with those leg kicks better? There's a whole bunch of questions for me. But then there's also two rounds of dominant wrestling where I'm reminded that this guy really does have a complete arsenal of skills that make him, to me, one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous all-around competitor in the division. And then there's Johnny Walker, who everybody was ready to anoint after three wins over Khalil Roundtree, Justin Ledet, and Misha Serkinov, who then struggled mightily, one win in five starts, but has really put it back together. And now you can make all the arguments about, well, it's Anthony Smith, and it's Nikita Krilov, and it's not the biggest names in the division. Fine, I'm with you. I hear you. I agree. If he beats Uncle Iev on Saturday, regardless of how it happens, we have to recognize him as a title threat and a viable challenger in the light heavyweight division. I didn't think we would get there. He has done the work. He has put in the performances. He has garnered the results to put himself in this position. And if the changes, adjustments, things that we've seen from him over these last three fights, all victories, are real, then he has the weaponry to go out there and beat Magomed Ankalaev. We will see low kicks from Johnny Walker probably pretty early. That will set up high kicks, which we've seen from Johnny Walker. He's got power. He's showing more poise. He's showing more tactical awareness in these last three fights. And so whether the UFC declares it or not, this is a huge fight for each of these men. Whether it ends up getting them a championship opportunity or not, this is the one to just keep you moving forward. And at this point in the division, when you're in that top 10, especially in a relatively shallow division, like light heavyweight, where there are some injuries, where there are some guys sidelined that have had their opportunities and things of that nature. Wins like this are huge. Fights like this are mammoth. So I want to see what happens. I'm very excited to see what happens on Saturday. Item number five, Ikram Aliskarov's sophomore appearance. I've been in on this guy since his contender series win. I got more in after he you know, walk-off knockout, sent Phil Hawes to the shadow realm at UFC 288 in May. I was all the way in when the UFC booked him against Paulo Costa for UFC 291. I wish that fight had gone through because I think Aliskarov would have beaten him and then we'd already be talking about him as a contender. As it stands now, originally supposed to face Nasruddin Imovov, now is facing Warley Alves. I don't think it's necessarily the kind of fight that is going to make people sit up and take notice and recognize him as a real threat in the 185-pound weight class. But I think he's a real threat in the 185-pound weight class. He has all the tools. He has all the weapons. Combat Samba, world champion. We saw the power against Hawes. 
We saw the submission skills on Contender Series against Mario Souza. The grappling is there. Everything feels good. 14-1 and one for his career is one losses to Chimaev. If the only guy that can beat you is the guy we might be talking about as the next champion of this division, I am paying all the attention imaginable. And it's really weird to me that we haven't heard a lot of people talking about him heading into this fight because all the pieces are there, right? As I said, 14-1, and one, finishing his debut, walk-off fashion, first round knockout. First round stoppage on the Contender Series. He's got the Contender Series rub going for him. And the only loss is to a guy that everybody has universally been in on as a future champion, if not future contender. And yet it feels like crickets a little bit. It feels like people are a little bit behind on Aliskarov. And I think, I hope for his sake, he has that statement performance on Saturday. And regardless that it's Warley Alves fighting at middleweight for the first time since winning the tough Brazil season three tournament against Marcio Alexandre Jr. It shouldn't matter. We know he's a capable hand. We know he is a proven, established UFC talent. First guy to beat Colby Covington. It's been inconsistent, but he has skills. And if Aliskarov goes out and trucks this dude, he needs to be facing a top 10 opponent. He needs to be right in that mix. I think he's that good. He is somebody that depending on how the division sh shakes out next year, and it's messy right now. It is very, very messy. But I think within the next two years, he's fighting for a title. Health provided, obviously, you got to get the results. But if everything goes the way I think it can, he's a championship contender. And folks should be watching on Saturday. Item six, first stern test for Muhammad Makayev. Another guy on this card that I have been in on for a while. I'm a little bit less in going into Saturday because I want to see how the fight with Tim Elliott goes. Makayev, for me, is one of those guys that knows he's outstanding, knows he has a wealth of talent, and therefore goes out there and fucks around a little bit every so often. I think, and he admitted it a little bit, that he fucked around in the Malcolm Gordon fight which was last year in Abu Dhabi. He kind of went out, thought he would get through the Canadian pretty easily, and then got in some bad spots, eventually gets the third round submission win and says, yeah, kind of need to be more focused. I was playing to the crowd. I was buoyed by the crowd. I need to just go out there, handle my business, and then I can do all the other stuff. Then he fights in London this year, earlier this year in March, and he gets put in some bad spots by Jafel Filo. And so now he's facing a guy in Tim Elliott, that has admitted, and we have seen, will do the sneaky, dirty, cheaty stuff that he needs to do to get a victory. He'll get in there and he'll beak at you. He's awkward as hell to deal with. He's a good scrambler. He's a decent striker. The first two rounds, he's an absolute menace. And if he can get up 2-0, then he's just got to survive. And I know that's a weird way to frame a fight, but I think if you gave Tim Elliott truth serum, He'd be like, yeah, I'm good with that. Because that's what we see a lot of times, right? He's great in the first round. He's pretty good to good in the second round. And in the third, it's like, let me get through this five minutes. And if he does that against Makayev, then all of that steam, all of that momentum that the 23-year-old with a bright future has just goes away. And so this is the one for Makayev where more than any of them, I need to see the focus. I need to see those 
undeniable skills put to application. Go out there and wrestle this man into oblivion and put him away. Because historically, this is the point where Tim Elliott struggles, right? He's won four of his last five, but they're not against guys that are in the upper tier of the division. They're not guys that are contenders. Yes, he beat Tahiru Lembekov, who is sort of a lower third to just outside the top 15 guy at flyweight right now. But that's the best one. Historically, when he gets in there with somebody that is a top 10, top five fighter, he struggles. So if Mo believes he is that guy, and if Mo wants to show that he is that guy, that he talks about all the time, going to break John Jones's record, I should be fighting the top guys now. Show us on Saturday. Go out there and put on the performance that makes all of us go, this is why we're in on him. This is why we've been talking about this kid being one of the absolute best young talents in the UFC. Show it on Saturday. And I, again, cannot wait to be seated seated in front of my television watching this young man perform. Item number seven, a key opportunity for Javid Basharat. Continuing in the run of fighters that I am very much invested in, very much interested in seeing, and very much high on. I think both Javid and his brother Farid are very talented fighters. But this fight with Victor Henry is much much like Mo's fight with Tim Elliott. Is the okay, you got to show me, man. Because you can say all the right things. You have earned the victories thus far, undefeated in his career, 3-0 in the UFC. Now you got to show me a little more. I talked about it yesterday. Can he make that statement? Can he have that breakout performance that makes people go, I really need to pay attention to him. He's something different in this division. Because Bantamweight is loaded with talent, right? Talked about it yesterday. We talked about it last week. Jonathan Martinez has flown under the radar into the top 10 on a six-fight winning streak because he doesn't say a whole hell of a lot and there's a bunch of loud people around him in the division. Javid doesn't say a lot. His performances thus far have been technical and sharp, and he's dominated each of them. These haven't been split decisions. They haven't been particularly close fights. He's, He's won them handily, and he's looked good doing it. But there hasn't been anybody coming away, and there's no one going into this fight going, do you know who I think is going to break into the top 10 in the next 9 to 12 months? Javid Basharat. And he very well could. Skill-wise, talent-wise, he very well could. But the thing that might hold him back is that he's not having those performances that elevate you into bigger opportunities, right? We've now seen in consecutive fights for Adrian Yanez that he's just not at that level. He's just not at that top tier, top 10, top 15 level. Back-to-back losses. Rob Font, Jonathan Martinez. You start getting in there with some tough outs. They become outs. Even the Davy Grant fight, right? We go back to that one. Split decision victory. Super close fight. That was one for me watching it that I was like, okay, this tells me something. And so for Javid on Saturday against Victor Henry, this is where you got to do something to really elevate yourself or else you end up getting stuck in. And I know I'm repeating stuff from yesterday on one question. You end up getting stuck in that Chris Gutierrez space where you're on a winning streak, but you're fighting on the prelims against guys that aren't in the top 15 because you haven't just really asserted yourself or given people created that buzz where people are like, no, I need to see more of Javid Basharat. Hardcore fans are in. Hardcore fans understand the talent level but we're not the ones that are driving interest. 
right? Lunatics like me that are fired up every Saturday for every fight aren't the ones that are commanding attention from the UFC when it comes to how main cards are crafted and what some of these matchups are. That's the more casual fans. And so he's got to put himself in the minds, in the eye, in, in the foreground for casual fans on Saturday with a big performance against Victor Henry. Item number eight, a second look at Anshul Jubilee. So this is one, again, I'm, I'm just super curious. And this is more of a want to see it to garner some information, to glean some information about this kid. Because as much as I liked his performance against Jekka Sadagi in February to win the lightweight competition for the Road to UFC series, there are some things that are little like worrisome red flags for me. He's 28, turns 29 in January. That's a little bit like, long in the tooth to be getting started because he's still relatively young in his career, right? He doesn't have a ton of fights. This isn't a guy that's now getting to the UFC, but he's 15 and 0 or 16 and 0 and he's had a bunch of opportunities. 28 years old, 29 in January, seven fights in. And so it's still the developmental stage. It's still actually the rudimental, fundamental developmental stage. Now, one of the things that works in his favor is that he showed huge improvements from his win in October in the semifinals to his victory over Saragi in February to win the competition. Now, how much of that is based on the fact that Jekka Saragi doesn't have particularly good takedown defense and Anshul Jubilee was able to put him on the canvas and play to his advantages? I don't know. We might find out on Saturday or we might just see him matched up with Mike Breeden who's 34, who's 10 and six overall, 0 and three in the UFC. And one of those guys that is probably best suited to being the co-main event on a regional show somewhere close to home. And I know that sounds real shitty. I know that sounds real dickish. To put it another way, Mike Breeden is, is what baseball scouts and what baseball analysts would probably call a quad A player. A guy that can do really well in AAA, but you bring him up to the bigs and he can't hit above the Mendoza line. He's struggling because it's just not there. He's really great against the lesser competition, but against anybody that should be in the bigs, he struggles. And so I don't know what kind of takeaways we're going to get for Anshul Jubilee on Saturday, but as a young fighter that is very early in his career, has shown some progress, has shown some development, I just want to sit down and see it. I just want another opportunity to kick back, sip a cup of coffee and watch this kid perform. Because as I said yesterday, how you do against guys like Breeden, and in this case, Mike Breeden specifically, tell me a lot. You beat him handily, great. Some other people have. Doesn't necessarily put you in their bracket. You're not instantly running up alongside Terrence McKinney. But it tells me something. If it's a close fight, a competitive fight, but you get a victory, that's going to give me some other information. If you lose, there's some other things I learn. If you get handled, if you get waxed, that's a whole nother, whole nother set of things that I learned from that performance. And I just want the opportunity to learn them. I just want the chance to sit down, watch this fight, take in the 15 minutes or less, and make some more assessments on Anshul Jubilee. This is what I love. This is what I do. This is why I'm here. So let's just see it. Item number nine, a featherweight banger 
between Nathaniel Wood and Muhammad Naimov. I think there are people, lots of people, that are going to go into this one underrating Muhammad Naimov a little bit. He is a guy that lost on the contender series a couple seasons back to Colin Anglin, who then struggled in the UFC. So I think that doesn't work in his favor. But I tell you what, that win over Jamie Malarkey on short notice where he put him out in the second round sure does carry a lot of weight for me. And is a very good representation, I think, of the overall package that Naimov brings to the table. Took that fight at the start of the week and then rocked up on Saturday and put out Jamie Malarkey. That tells me something. That's saying something. And now he gets a chance to get in there with Nathaniel Wood, who has looked very good since moving to featherweight, beating Charles Rosa, Charles Jordan, and Andre Feely. That Feely fight was a banger in London in July. This feels like it has the opportunity to be an absolutely lights-out fight. I cannot wait to see it. I, As I said yesterday, I thought Wood should be getting an opportunity a little further up the rankings, but I like that he's taking this fight. I like that it's a dangerous opponent, a guy that, you know, a little bit underrated, a little bit unheralded in the UFC, but certainly dangerous, works with good people, coming off that good win. This could be one that sets the fight of the night bar real early in the day, and then everybody else is trying to eclipse it. Usually, someone on the made card eclipses it because the UFC focuses their attention for fight of the night and things of that nature on the main card. But this is going to set the bar, and then everybody else is going to have to try. Can't wait to see this one because I also think the winner of this one ends up facing somebody with a ranking next time out if they don't get one themselves. That's how good a fight this is. Great opportunity. Last one. Opening assessments for Victoria Dudikova and Shara Magomedov. As I said yesterday, I don't have a lot of insight about either of these athletes. Dudikova spent 34 seconds in the octagon with Estela Nunez, who dislocated her elbow. It's impossible to know what she brings to the table from 34 seconds of fighting in the UFC thus far. Now, she's 24, she's undefeated, she beat Maria Silva to get to the UFC last year on the Contender Series, that's a good win, that's a good baseline, but let's see what you can do against Jin Yu Frey, who is someone, again, as I said yesterday, we know all about her, it's similar to the Mike Breeden thing, tells me what, what I need to know right out of the gate, depending on how you do against Jin Yu Frey, who comes in on a losing streak, similar to Breeden. As for Shara Bullet. This is one of those ones. And listen, I understand that I am usually the ray of positivity when it comes to fight cards, but a bit of a Debbie Downer when it comes to these Instagram celebrities, buzzy prospects, because I'm just not plugged into world regional MMA the way so many other people are. That's their avenue. I trust them. I look to them for their insights. A lot of people are hyped for Shara Magomedov's debut on Saturday. I'm interested. I'm certainly curious to see what this guy does against Bruno Silva because I know what Blindado brings to the cage. I know where he stands in the middleweight division. So this is an instant measuring stick opportunity for Magomedov. And I'm always here for these fights. I say it every time I do one of these. You want to give me a fight like this where I get a newcomer against a guy that is fully established, against a, a fighter that is fully established in terms of my understanding of where they fit within their respective division in the UFC, sign me up always. 
And so that's how we're kicking off the day is this hyped prospect undefeated. Everybody's looking forward to him against the guy that gave former middleweight champ, Alex Pahea, the best test of his career prior to him fighting Izzy. I'm in, I'm in, sign me up. I love this card. I think it's going to be a fascinating day of fights. I love again that it starts at seven o'clock in the morning out here on the West coast of Canada. It will be done no later, I would say, than about two o'clock in the afternoon, which means I can take my dog for a walk when we usually take him for a walk in the afternoon. I can have dinner with my wife, hanging out, just regular, normal, not sequestered up here in my office watching the fights. This is going to be a good weekend, ladies and gentlemen. I thank you for watching. I thank you for tuning in, for sticking with me over these last couple of weeks while I've been away. You are the best. I love you. I appreciate you. Please check out the guys at One Bone, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite. Spencer Kite at checkout for 15% off your full offer. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at One Bone Brand. Do the same with me at Spencer Kite. Hit the QR code in the lower half of the screen to sign up for the Keyboard Kimura Substack. $0, $5, 50 bucks for the year. Get to everything I produce right into your inbox. That's it for today. Back tomorrow with the picks and plays. We're going to try to make some, some good wagers and some good selections for this flight card. I am fired up. I cannot wait to get back here with you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Love you. Appreciate you. Good to yourself. Good to one another. Talk to you tomorrow.